What's going on today, folks? I hope everybody is doing well, staying safe, staying healthy, uh, staying away from people as much as you can. You know, with this Delta variant, we're getting back into the early days of the pandemic. And for most people outside of the first world, uh, the Delta variant has just simply been another intensification of the pandemic. But for those of us in the West, who feel that this Delta variant is, quote, ruining our fall plans, you ought to talk to the almost 200, uh, I believe it's almost 150, almost 200 million people who across the country have either died or suffered terrible sickness because of our countries and the West's inability to give a shit about anyone or anything other than themselves. So, Thanks for stopping by. This is In Defense of Liberation. It is the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement. And hopefully one day we will see a true proletarian revolution. Um, But until that lovely day comes, today we are going to be talking about one of the things that is actually impeding on our ability to do so. So, Marxists alike, if they are Marxists proper and not in just word, understand the uh, ebb and flow of sorts throughout historical development between the different classes within society. This is what we call class struggle. Now, class struggle has been enduring since the earliest ages of class society, which is, uh, if we want to pinpoint it, uh, it occurred at a point between the development out of the uh, early communalist societies of what we commonly think of of as uh, hunter-gatherer type societies, Um, although they did not necessarily... Uh, take a given form, they were societies which depended wholly on one another and their environments for survival. This is human nature. But from this point on, you have early agricultural practices which eventually make their way into building the foundation for things like a patriarchal society. And on top of that, in the earliest agricultural uh, development, you also soon after had the uh, uptick in slavery. And eventually this developed into the massive slave societies such as the Greek and Roman empires, um, where early agriculture got developed into uh, still uh, very similar in, in you know, tools and in practices and uh, how they are actually growing the food Um, But who is growing the food now has changed from the individuals who will consume that food to those who will produce food for someone else to consume. This is the earliest stages of class society, where one class, one group within society, the dominant force, uh, takes advantage of the subordinate force, whatever that may be, as it has taken many forms throughout history, But the dominant force takes control over the subordinate force and does so for the benefit of the dominant force. So the dominant force comes in 
it starts stealing the labor, it starts stealing the resources, it starts stealing the production and distribution of goods for itself. Again, like we said, this has taken many different forms. So you have the earliest stages where, you know, moderately sized agricultural tracts would be worked by slaves who were not given usually um, the profits or the uh, value of their labor. So if you were a slave in the early Greek or Roman societies, uh, if you, you know, spent a day in the field and you harvested, I don't know, I've never worked on a farm, you, you harvested, let's say, 20 bushels of fucking tomatoes or whatever. That's a lot of tomatoes. You're not going to make any money from that. Your subsistence, your ability to have any uh, food or water in your system, and your ability to make it to tomorrow, hopefully, uh, is the only thing you will get from this relationship. Meaning, all of the products of your labor go into the hands or into the ownership of another group or another individual. This is, you know, what we even see still to today, where I myself work for eight hours, make $160, but might make my business six, seven, or $8,000 in profit in the meantime. So here you see like the real form, the real essence of society that has developed throughout history, again, into different uh, forms, but all the same, there has been this exploitative um, relationship. It's a a pest-like relationship, Um, not symbiotic in the slightest, although the capitalists will convince us that our ability to own a car or the fact that there's buildings and shops and apartments and all these things uh, constructed, this is our social benefit, our social wage uh, that we acquire thanks to capitalism. Even though most of these buildings, most apartments, most jobs and things like that could and would be available as they have been under really existing socialist societies. There is an innate kind of break for certain groups uh, and their political lines. So I am a Marxist, a Marxist-Leninist Maoist, but for the simplicity of it all, I'm a Marxist. Now that Marxism tells me that at the core of our very society, there is an unequal relationship. The relationship between what we call the ruling or owning class over the working or oppressed class. That relationship, again, is a dominant one, meaning the ruling class uh, consumes and accumulates all the wealth, all the products, all the labor, all the resources, all the land, and all the even children, the people themselves who exist on this earth in a given society. The ruling class takes sole ownership of these by means of force. 
Now, we know, obviously, those of us who work, that the CEOs, the board of directors, even our managers, the ones who make money, the ones who make the most off of our work, because usually us part-timers or our, you know, those wage workers who are making minimum wage are oftentimes uh, the hardest workers in a place, um, have to be, uh, just not even by their own choice and, and will to be such a good worker, but because oftentimes the whole of the responsibility will fall on the person at the lowest part of the barrel, because by doing so, then that ensures that the people at top make the most money by doing the least amount of work. This is the goal that anyone who uh, believes in a uh, kind of capitalist law of motion believes in the most bang for their buck. So you got these CEOs who just fucking jerk off in their offices upstairs making six, seven figures while you and I uh, work, you know, 10, 12, 14 hours a day, standing on our feet all day, doing all of the manual labor, any kind of transportation or distribution or production with our own two hands, while also seeing all of the value of the things that we are producing, the things that we are selling, the things that we are distributing, going not into our own pockets, even though we are the ones who did all the labor, the products of that labor, the surplus value, is going into the hands of the ruling class. Now, why is this important? Again, I, as a Marxist, believe this is the core function of a capitalist or bourgeois society, meaning that I believe that all of the other issues, all of the social, political, and economic issues that stem from that society are what we might call the superstructure. Whereas the capitalist system itself and its mode of production, how it goes about producing things, who produces them, who accumulates the value off of them, what is produced, where it's produced, why it's produced, all of that is the base, the core of the society we live in today. Meaning that that core, that base leads to and creates the other social, political, environmental, ecological, and economical issues that we suffer because of that. So this means that when we are looking at how to change this reality, when we are looking at how to actually change the material conditions, we must not focus on the superstructure. Because by attacking the superstructure, it's like attacking the symptoms of a disease. Whereas by getting to the core of what caused the disease and creating either an immunity or uh, going after the disease itself with treatment and medication, that is what will lead to the actual eradication of not only the symptoms, but also eventually the disease itself, if it is a uh, uh, one that you can recover from. Side note, if you haven't already, and you can, please go get your vaccine. Also, if you're not wearing your mask because you did get a vaccine, I would implore you to continue wearing your mask as the Delta variant can infect you, and not only can it 
uh, infect you and spread to other people. There are people who have had the vaccine, who have gotten seriously ill, or even in some very rare cases, do more to the person's biology than the vaccine itself has allowed for death. So please, listen, we're talking about disease. We're talking about symptoms. There is not only a disease going around during this pandemic that is destroying this world, but there has been a disease for five, six hundred years going around and causing a spread of symptoms all over the world, and that is global capitalism. Now, global capitalism has only really surfaced uh, in, in the way that we usually you know, think of it in, in the sense of like global markets and huge trade agreements and uh, you know, natural disaster aid and things all like that. That has only existed in the last few hundred years. Now, the use of the globe for the capitalist powers has been true since the earliest days of capitalism. However, that has not been a globalized system. That was a system that was centralized but used the entire globe, if that makes sense. So as a Marxist, again, I believe that the core principle of the, the core uh, or principal aspect of the contradictions that we are suffering here today is the capitalist mode of production. Now, the capitalist mode of production is directly in contradiction with the mode of appropriation. Again, we produce the things, but we do not make the, the profits. We do not make the value of what we produce, we make a wage, which means that someone above us is scraping some off the top and flicking it down at us and saying, here, why don't you fight over that shit? And still today, there are people who believe that what we have to do is we have to tax the rich. If we tax the rich, then they won't have any more money. And if they don't have any more money, we can redistribute or, or we can redistribute that money to places where it need to go. Uh, again, we think similarly in the case of police uh, defunding. When we speak of reallocating funds from police departments towards things like education, social services and programs, housing, medication, schooling, things like that. But again, both of these theories are ignoring quite simply the class structure of our society. If you're going to say that, hey, what we need is the police to be defunded, who's going to defund them? Because the federal government, by a vote of 99 to 0, every single Democrat went alongside with the Republicans because they're all the same. There's no such thing as a good or a bad Democrat or Republican. They're all shit. Fuck them all. Don't vote for a single one of them. We need the people in power. But anyways, a 99 to 0 vote got passed saying that any county, any city, any locality who makes any attempt to defund or reallocate funds from their local police department can face a punishment of no more federal funding. Meaning things like statewide education, meaning things like state housing, right? Or programs for handicapped uh, uh, folks, 
uh, children who are in um, foster care. These are all things that will suffer because of a lack of federal funding that will not come because we or whomever make attempts to defund the police. Again, who's going to make them defund? Who's going to make them reallocate funds? And when we talk about taxing the rich, we completely misunderstand how our government and our economic system are tied at the waist. If you don't know this, you should look at the revolving doors between massive corporations, massive weapons manufacturing and military uh, uh, contracting companies, the CIA, FBI, NSA, DEA, and other uh, intelligence and security agencies, and then our very government itself. Folks like George H.W. Bush, he was the former head of the CIA, and then he became the president. Henry Kissinger, former head of the CIA, becomes the secretary of state under the Nixon administration. And then if you look at corporations like Raytheon, McKinsey and Co., uh, uh, and then these also, I, I forget to mention very often, these third-party quote-unquote think tanks and foundations like the Heritage Foundation, um, all of these different ruling class powers, again, have revolving doors. Um, it is not just the wealthy corporations that are oppressing us. It is not just the ruling class governments that are oppressing us. It is not just the transnational banking firms or these think tanks that are working towards oppressing us. It is the unification of them all on a class basis that allows them to function and organize themselves so well to continue oppressing us still all across our lives, whether it's at our workplace, whether it's in our political freedoms, whether it's in our economic position, or whether it's our social situation, which allows us not to have the same rights, freedoms, liberties as others who have uh, more money or paler skin or perceived as a man. Uh, this is all things which stem from an economic base and are continuously perpetuated, not because of some natural system that can never be overcome, not because of the weakness and the destituteness of the masses, not because of the lack of organization necessarily of the working class, but especially because the solidification, the centralization, and the organization of the ruling class. The ruling class is more uh, organized, more militant, and more disciplined than any working class movement has ever been in the United States. And that needs to change. Again, it is not solely the fault of the left that cannot seem to do a goddamn thing in the West, but it is a part of the problem. And it is the only thing that you and I, at this current moment, can affect and change. So we need to be getting more militant. We need to be getting more disciplined. And we need to be getting more organized and more educated and more focused on the very central role that capitalism plays in the oppression and repression of the people who live not only in this country, not only in the West, 
but especially of those who we oppress, who we exploit, who we steal and plunder from, who we kill, rape, and murder, and genocide, and destroy entire lands of, the global south. This is who really, really needs to see the West get organized, who really needs to see an end to imperialism, who really needs to see an end to capitalism and bourgeois society. Because even though a majority of the United States population, even though a majority of those in the West would be considered working class, this still does not mean that a majority of those in the working class have any idea about anything I'm talking about or will ever have any idea if those of us in the West don't do more to organize, educate, propagandize, and agitate towards them. When we are talking about what needs to be done, Marxists, socialists, anarchists all need to get on the same page. We all need to recognize, at the very least, capitalism and imperialism need to be stopped. They need to be halted, eradicated, smashed, burned, turned to ash, and never be allowed to come into any form ever again. In order to do so, again, we cannot get lost in the superstructure. We cannot get lost fighting for things that, honestly, will only be able to be fought for once the working class is powerful enough. Now, a lot of people don't like the term political power because it makes them think about electoral politics. It makes them think that, uh, not for nothing, that we're just trying to go and be yet another form of a ruling class. This is a common argument against the use of the state by anarchists and so-called leftists who, again do not believe in the use of a proletarian state. But back to the point where we're talking about trying to tax the rich, trying to, uh, again, another thing that folks are trying to say, like Richard Wolff, they say that we need to build co-ops and we need to have unions. Okay, because that wasn't tried 100 years ago and failed. Uh, We need to recognize, again, If this power structure does exist, if there is a ruling class elite which dominates not only over us economically and politically, but also socially, they stand over us militarily, they control the laws, they are the judges, they control the education, they are the teachers, the principals, the board of educators, the statewide education committee, the federal government's Department of Education. Those are all the ruling class elites. So if we want to change these things, we cannot go about doing so in the avenues that they have set up for themselves in order to continuously benefit themselves. We have to build forms of power, of organization, unseen to the individuals, the oppressed masses themselves here in the United States. In places like the Soviet Union, again, it's right there in the name, you had what were called Soviets, or if you want to translate it, councils. You had workers' councils, you had soldiers' councils, you had miners' councils, you had uh, 
educator councils. You had um, homeless councils. You had peasant councils. You had farmer councils. All these different groupings and organizations which were intended to bring all of the working people, all of the oppressed masses together in a way that made them recognize that the more they work as one cohesive unit, the more organized and centralized they become, the more powerful, the more force they have among their numbers in order to actually fight the system at large. The United States military is larger than any other military force that has ever existed on the face of this earth. Uh, Combined with its massive intelligence agencies, its 800 plus bases around the world, its space and aircraft uh, technologies, and uh, its control not only of the military but also the government and the markets of many countries outside of itself, it is a foe to be reckoned with. But when I say we need to be build political power, I don't mean we need a Bernie 3.0 campaign that tries to get Joe Biden out of the Oval Office. I don't mean that we need a uh, revolutionary version of AOC to go into the House of Representatives and start trying to pass bills so that we can get uh, more social services, higher wages, affordable housing, etc., I am saying that the organizations which come must be of a grassroots form. They must be built on the basis of the workers and oppressed people themselves in order to take the proper form to eradicate the issues that these groups of people are suffering themselves, not to try to take form to work within the capitalist bourgeois system. Our goal is not to fit in the box, but to smash the box and build a better one. Um, Maybe not a box at all. But again, we have to recognize then that it is capitalism that needs to be defeated, which means we need to build forms of power which can do so. We need to build forms of power that that can take over the state, which is the organized body of oppression of one class by another. The state has taken many forms throughout society. The state of ancient Egypt looked very different to the state of the Soviet Union, which looked very different to the state today in the United States, which looks very different to the state in Afghanistan. But the state being an organized body of one class who uses its power and influence and force to suppress another class. This is necessary because, again, what you see in revolutions all over the world is once they revolt, once they fight, once they try to take power, 10, 20, 50, 100 times stronger force comes as a reaction to try to, again, overthrow them. And most importantly, we must realize that in this case, when you overthrow a government, uh, there's no, okay, guys, uh, we kind of had it out for one another, but we all understand where each other are coming from now. So we're going to just go ahead and let you guys kind of go back to your jobs and uh, go back to working in the fields and letting us exploit you. Not only will the masses not allow that, but they won't get to that point because the ruling class 
massacres people. They don't kill people. They don't imprison people. They genocide them. They eradicate people from the face of the earth in order to be able to consolidate their own power. And so, again, as awful as it sounds, the reality that is in front of us is one that makes us or should make us recognize that the only way for us to ensure that the working class, that the oppressed people are able to rise out of their position of oppression, are able to revolt successfully and consolidate their own power, uh, the power of the many, the power of the masses, the power of the proletariat of the working class and oppressed people over the ruling class elites, the oppressors, the exploiters, and those who have made themselves rich off of the death, destruction, and exploitation of the many. By doing so, we have to recognize there has to be some form of power that can organize us, that can be used as a tool to implement things that need to be done, like nationalizing production, like um, eliminating any kind of property privileges or rights. eliminating inheritance and uh, wealth accumulation, eliminating the ability to employ labor. Um, All of these things can't be done just by the whim of a few anarchists who uh, killed their local police department and now have decided that their region is autonomous. That's not a possibility. We learned in 1871 what happens when you try to do that. We learned again in Spain what happens when you try to do that. We learned again in Mexico and other places what happens when you try to do that. Although this is a step in the right direction, although it is revolutionary and radical, it is not truly revolutionary in a sense that can succeed. We need success. We cannot fail because when we fail, people die. And if we fail and people die, no more will we have hope in the masses. Because as it stands right now, capitalism has eliminated any and all hope that people would normally have, or that people have had in periods of history to come, or that people do have across the world. Capitalism within the centers of the imperial core has created this mindset called capitalist realism by Mark Fisher um, that tells us that, A, uh, there is no hope for a better tomorrow, because nothing can be done to create such a tomorrow. And we say this because we ourselves don't do anything to try to build that form of power, to try to build something that could do that. We simply sit around and say, listen, uh, there's no use trying either. We're all going to die because the environment's going to end or there's no hope because the ruling class is too strong. We do a lot of different things that cultivate a self-fulfilling prophecy. And that self-fulfilling prophecy has led us to a point where the masses do not believe that the capitalist system will come crumbling down before the earth itself dies. I think that's an important realization to make. So does Mark Fisher. He starts off his book, Capitalist Realism, with a quote from Slavov Zizek that says, it is easier to imagine the end of the world than it is to imagine the end of capitalism. So why do I say all this? 
There's a lot of shit. I've said a lot of this shit in other episodes. Why do I say all this? We have gotten to a point where I believe (coughs) the contradictions... Excuse me, I'm smoking. The contradictions in society, especially here in the Imperial Corps, because of the influx of immigrants for centuries now, because of the oppression of many different groups of individuals such as black, brown, indigenous, Asian, Chicano, Latino, um, and other groups of individuals, because of the oppression they have suffered here in the United States, And because of the system of capitalism, which is built off of the exploitation of the masses, which is built on the oppression of the many by the few, um, we are getting to a point where the workers, the oppressed people themselves, can no, uh, no longer ignore the fact that they are at the bottom of the barrel, and they can no longer ignore why it is they are there. It is impossible to truly hide the nature of capitalism and bourgeois society, the oppression and repression that it creates for the masses uh, from the masses any longer. We find this to be true not just simply here in the United States, but all across the world, where in places like Colombia, India, uh, Afghanistan, Iran, uh, Nepal, the Yemen, and many, many, many other places, Zambia, South Africa, Mozambique, um, all of these places are showing us fantastic examples of what it is that we here in the United States, what we here in the West need to be doing in order to provide a clear shot at revolution for the masses of the global South. Because as it stands right now, one of the most incredible powers that is weighing down on the global south is the global north. Excuse me while I open the door to my store. It's going to be very loud. And this is done not always by a direct uh, occupying force, not always by a direct control of the military or the government, but usually through a kind of multiplicity of forms. So first and foremost, we know uh, during colonialism's time, um, which still continues today in places like, um, in places like Palestine, uh, here in the United States, and in many different places like Brazil, where the land of the indigenous peoples of that land is being taken from them. Uh, This is more of an occupying force. So again, you have a colonial or an occupying force form of this domination. Um, Then you have other examples such as the use of what is called a comprador bourgeoisie. So a ruling class uh, such as Britain, uh, Spain, the Dutch, etc., they might bribe uh, through many different forms 
the ruling classes of the country they hope to take power over. Uh, they might do this in granting of, uh, you know, privileges and things like that within the society that they are going to dominate. They might do this by giving them millions of dollars or giving them uh, dominant shares in uh, transnational corporations like, um, oh, geez, it's so funny that I can't even remember any, but um, there's an incredible amount of ways by which this oppression is cultivated, this form of oppression is cultivated. You also have a similar situation, but where it's more a manipulation of the markets. And that's kind of more what we see today. You see huge transnational corporations, banking firms like the World Bank or the IMF, um, you see huge, huge uh, weapons manufacturers and uh, military contracting companies. You see the very government itself of the United States and some of its third-party entities, such as the USAID um, uh, and some of the other NGO and nonprofit organizations that it uses to uh, siphon money out of these countries, um, it also does this. So it does it through also a manipulation of the markets, of the resources, and exploitation of the labor and the land within a uh, given uh, imperialized or colonized country. Um, and therefore, this is yet another way that this oppression is cultivated. So we have to recognize also that the different forms of ruling class societies and the way that capitalism and this bourgeois system has continued to oppress the uh, supposed quote-unquote third world, or what we call today the global south, uh, the oppressed nations, uh, this is how the global north has gone about doing that oppressing. So we have to recognize then that here in the global north, we are role is to eliminate that oppression. We have to be building anti-imperialist uh, organizations that have the power and the will to take down the imperialist organizations by force. We also need to be building organizations against things like weapons manufacturing or distributing, uh, nuclear production, uh, the production of nuclear weapons, um, all of this needs to be fought sincerely within the West because, again, the global North is the dominant and hegemonic power, which means it is control in control of the markets, the resources, the military, and uh, the governments of just about the entire world. There is a lot that is at stake. The lives of the Brazilian, the 6,000 Brazilian indigenous people who came out a few days ago to protest Bolsonaro, to protest the destruction of the Amazon, and to protest the ruling class of Brazil in general and fight for decolonization. They need our help. The fight of the farmers' revolt in India 
of the 150 million people who descended on Delhi after the Modi government passed the farming bill laws that will effectively hand over the agriculture in India over to huge transnational farming companies such as uh, Monsanto and even regional and national ones. Um, This is something that we see all over the world happening. And we have to recognize, again, we play a very important role um, here in this uh, in this place that we find ourselves, because of our position within the imperial core, we are able to sweep the legs from right inside um, to kind of kill from within. Now we have to recognize that also within the imperial core, we face a lot of struggles um, that stem from individualist or privileged outlooks. Um, That privilege comes from the ability to enjoy the fruits of the imperial nation. Um, We get certain amenities like the technological, scientific, medicinal, uh, and other kinds of advancements by, you know, 30 or 40 years after they are actually developed. Um, This is something that we get that the Global South does not. Just a single example, but of course, there's many, many other ways that the Global North is privileged, is able to enjoy the livelihood that they do because of, and again, distinctly because of, not simply, okay, um, we think that we deserve all these good things, so we're not going to give them to you. Uh, And, you know, just kind of being like, not a good sharer. That's not it. The very privileges we have are because of the exploitation of the labor, the land, and the resources of those who we take those privileges from, right? We can't have stores full of all these useless things that none of us could ever need if it wasn't for us robbing the entire global south of all of its production capabilities, of all of its labor force, of all of its resources and technologies, and think that that just comes from nowhere. That is, again, directly because we steal it, not not share it. It is cultivated, it is developed, it is produced, it is distributed by the Global South and then consumed and appropriated by the Global North. Just like the owning class works the working class to death and then steals all the value of its labor, steals all of the products and commodities that the working class has produced themselves, so too does the global north steal and exploit the labor, the products, and the commodities produced by the global south. So why do I say all of this? Why are we talking about this, right? It's very important, but what's the point here? 
The time has come to recognize that we can't sit around on our dicks anymore. We can't be playing around doing God knows what, posting on social media, arguing with motherfuckers every single day, um, sitting on our ass just reading theory every single day. Um, It's time to build. It has been time to build for a century. It has been time to build since the Russian Revolution took place and believed with all of its heart that Europe and the American workers would follow suit. And of course, as we know, the Second International, led by Kautsky and the other um, uh, chauvinists and uh, traitors, um, they turned their back on the Bolsheviks. They felt that revolution was not the way to do it. Um, And even some within the Soviet Union, such as, or I should say within the, uh, yeah, within Russia, within the Soviet Union, um, folks like Trotsky, who also didn't really wholly believe in uh, things like trying to build socialism in a single state, uh, state being country, nation, etc., because he believed, in fact, that um, we needed the global north to revolt before the Bolsheviks could truly consolidate power. This, of course, was proven incorrect by history, but the justification that Trotsky was trying to use is not a comparison to the one that we're trying to use, although many people might say it is, because Trotsky said the whole of a revolutionary movement has to depend first on a full proletarian revolution taking place in places like the United States. Now, again, this is a brief summation of Trotsky's theories. If you feel like reading about Trotsky's permanent revolution, you can. I don't think it's necessary. Um, It wasn't chosen by the Bolsheviks for a very good reason. Um, And it also led to Trotsky's capitulation as a traitor. I mean, it kind of is telling of where his mindset was at at the time when Throughout the period of his development of the theory of permanent revolution and his debates with Stalin and other members of the Bolshevik party, um, he was uh, doing uh, propaganda within the Menshevik party. He was doing propaganda and speaking with parties outside of the Bolshevik. He was actively uh, educating about his own theories, not doing what the party asked of him, um, and therefore he was a traitor, not just simply because of one or two actions, but he spent his entire time in the party working against the party line time and time again. Um, That is not what a party is meant for. You can do that shit online or, you know, in a fucking stupid argument, but when it's time for revolution, you can't be dicking around going, well, I know this is kind of a good idea, but like, what if we did it better, like my way? No, you just have to go along with what the majority of the party has decided. And if, you know, you you have a whole... Okay, just real quick before I go off on a tangent. Trotsky is a fucking dickhead. Trotsky is a dickhead because for five years, from 1922 until 1927, he was a part of the Central Committee. 
And in that time, he spent five years debating multiple different questions with the party. And then after five years, when the decision was finally made on things like the agrarian question and the national question and the single state solution, he just didn't listen. Five years of debates where he was able to say whatever he wanted. He had one moment that was written about in Harry Haywood's Black Bolshevik where he was told, okay, you have an hour to argue. And he took four. He took four hours. He spoke in three different languages and nobody agreed with him. Literally almost the entire group, the entire uh, Congress voted against him. So again, just we have to understand that today... There is a time, there is a need for revolution. Today, there is a time and a need for revolution because if we do not do this, the global South is doomed to suffer under uh, uh, their own revolutions in a way that could be avoided. Not saying that they will fail and not saying that they should not participate in revolution. The goal of any Marxist, any Leninist, any Maoist is revolution. <clears throat> However, we must recognize that there is a better situation for revolution, and there is a really shitty one. Now, revolutions in places like El Salvador, in places like Nicaragua, in places like Cuba, in places like the Soviet Union, have led to insane amounts of death, incredible amounts of massacre. Um, and honestly, this you know couldn't really at the time wholly be avoided. Um, but today we have an opportunity to aid the global South and to learn from our mistakes and from our chauvinism of the past in order to better assist not just simply the United States revolution, but the global proletariat revolution. Because again, when people say things like communism has never worked, or communism always fails, or communism works on paper, but not in real life, they don't understand that communism has never been tried because communism is a global effort, a global revolution that overthrows the ruling classes of the world and instates an entirely proletarian uh, society, which will not come for epochs. There will be generations before anything like that could even be on the table as a question. So if we want to build towards that, instead of making the same mistakes of, you know, previous revolutions, instead of um, failing to see the need for internationalism, like organizations like the Black Panther Party, the Young Lords, um, the uh, different communist parties here in the United States saw with needing to try to aid the revolutions of the world, just like the Soviet Union did in places like Cuba, etc., we need to be making sure that if we want to see a true proletarian revolution, we need to get working here so that millions of people don't need to die first, um, or at least not as many millions. If you're still listening, I appreciate you very much. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Please reach out if you'd like to. You can find me on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at In Defense of Liberation. You can find me at my email, indefensiveliberation at gmail.com. No caps, no spaces. And I hope to see you next time. Have a great day. Stay safe and stay revolutionary. Bye-bye.